Before St. Louis County Executive Steve Stenger resigned amid corruption charges, members of the St. Louis County Council were working cohesively together. But now that Stenger is gone, partisan divisions are starting to emerge between the Democratic majority and a GOP minority that includes Councilman Tim Fitch. Fitch joins Rachel Lippman and I on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the emerging council schism and the search for a new St. Louis County police chief. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision, and everybody in the room looks like you. You need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today is my guest co-host. Rachel Lippman. And returning to the show for the first time as a councilman, you were a councilman candidate back in 2018 when you were on the show. Our guest today is? Jim Fitch. uh, A councilman for the third council district. Just remind our listeners uh, the boundaries of that district before we, we get right into this. So if you're familiar with where Mercy South Hospital is, St. Anthony's Hospital, that's in my council district. That's the far southern reach. I go north up to uh, Olive, most of all, everything south of Olive, and then west over to uh, parts of Chesterfield, Baldwin. I have like all of my, uh, Manchester, Frontenac, parts of Ladue, Fenton, Sunset Hills, parts of Crestwood, Manchester, that area. So there's a lot to talk about in St. Louis County government now. It's not as uh, it's not the same tenor as it was when Steve Stanger was in office, but clearly we're starting to see some differences of opinion between members of the St. Louis County Council. Uh, I'm just going to start off kind of generally. I've, I think I've noticed that the Republicans and Democrats on the council are starting to sharply divide on some issues. I will tell you that the vast majority of the issues that we have are nonpartisan, which is one of the bills that I have pending is to make these positions in county government nonpartisan positions, because that's most of what we do. Uh, However, some of these partisan divide, it has come out here recently, specifically since uh, Lisa Clancy took over as the chairwoman of the county council. We're starting to see more and more legislation coming from her, and actually pushed down by the county executive, Sam Page, that uh, also will uh, give us reason to debate because it's some of them are very, what I would call, very liberal, far left wing types of, of legislation. St. Louis County is quickly becoming a more Democratic county. I would argue it's probably anywhere from 55 to 60 percent Democratic, depending on the election cycle. I, I guess to play devil's advocate, why shouldn't St. Louis County adopt more leftward policy if that's what the voting patterns is going toward? Again, I go back to most of the county issues that we deal with are nonpartisan. And that's what we should be focusing on are not things that divide us, but what does unite us. There's more that we have in common than we have differences between the Republicans and the Democrats. And I think that as long as we focus on those nonpartisan issues, I think that we'll be more successful in taking care of what government should be doing in St. Louis County. That's my hope. 
Now, I mean, is it is it you attributed some of this to uh, Council Chair Clancy, but are there were there other shifts sort of before this where, as Jason put it, maybe it was inevitable? There's no kind of uniting. We're going to make government a little better uh, kind of uh, kumbaya. Uh, was it the fact that you did have. I think it was a Republican as the presiding officer. What was the, the when you sort of noticed that shift? It really started, the noticeable shift was in January when she became the chairwoman and then Sam Page fully engaged in, in running for the position of county executive that he will now have a primary for in August. I think that's what really generated it. So what we were started seeing is Kansas City would pass an ordinance for something, most recently the domestic violence issue that we had, that we dealt with last week. They pass it, then it goes to the city of St. Louis, and they start talking about it or passing it. Then it comes to St. Louis County. That's the that's what's really significantly changed since prior to January 1st. Before we talk about that particular piece of legislation, I'm going to play a clip now of, of a meeting, I think it was last week. Last week's week, meeting, yep. Uh, where Councilwoman Lisa Clancy was speaking about the aforementioned domestic violence bill. And and to kind of clarify a little bit, this was her closing remark, if I'm remembering this correctly, on the issue that it, there had been about a 15-minute debate, and this was her making her closing remarks on this issue. And I believe you're here, Councilman Fitch, in there as well. Kansas City's ordinance, which was passed last fall, they do a really good job outlining the, just, the, just state, as the state and federal reasons why we are allowed to do this. There's as is just as flawed as this. Excuse me, Councilman Fitch, I am speaking right now. I'm sorry. And I agree with you that this does not go as far as I would like it to, and perhaps we can work together to work with our colleagues in Jefferson City and in the federal government to address that so that we can have a stronger legislation. Are you finished? In the meantime, um, again, while I do wish this bill went further, I think that this, I am strongly of the belief that this bill helps us do two things that should be of utmost priority so to, to St. Louis County government, both helping to curb gun violence and also helping to curb intimate partner violence. So after the meeting, Clancy told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that she felt that that exchange was, quote, a lot of sexism. I've never seen any of my colleagues, no matter how passionate they are about an issue, treat a male like that. I thought it was despicable how I was treated. It was disappointing, and I expect more decorum from colleagues. I'm pretty sure Paige and Stanger used to yell at each other at meetings. Jason, you've covered more of these than I have, but regardless. What do you make of Councilman Clancy's comments? Well, remember what happened prior to that piece, uh, that clip that you played. She had cut me off and said, you're not allowed to speak anymore. Uh, that had happened at that point. But she was allowed to speak as long as she wanted to, but she cut me off. She cut really all of us off and then kind of took the reins from there and to make the final statement that she wanted to make. So, you know, when you look at the whole picture of that is she should allowed us uh, to have open debate about this particular law. Uh, she used Kansas City as an example of a, a place that does it really well, using her words. And we know from the Kansas City Star editorial that came out uh, Earlier this month, they talked about this ordinance in Kansas City and said it has done nothing to curb domestic violence in Kansas City. And the police chief was also interviewed and part of this story in Kansas City. And he says, and we're not going to do anything with this ordinance. Is there a risk that the normal debate that a council would have when you do have four Democratic women and three Republican council or three Republican men that regardless of whether it is a spirited debate, that it just the appearance 
of it, whether or not there is anything actually sexist at work there. Are you worried about the appearance of, you know, three Republican men standing, trying to stand up to four Democratic women, regardless of whatever is at work? Is there going to be a a perception concern? I think that's a fair question. However, I don't see it that way as men versus women or Republicans versus Democrats. I don't see it that way at all. It's about flushing out the issues. What is the debate? What's your side of the debate? What's our side of the debate? And let the public decide whether we're right or wrong. That's what elections are for, not to cut off the debate. Now, they are in charge right now in the county uh, government. They're in charge. They have a majority vote. I don't know how somebody that's in power can accuse someone that's not of being sexist in this particular case. Uh, They're in charge. As far as what we have to say and the criticisms that we have about a particular bill, I don't see it as sexist at all. Now, Rachel, can you just kind of go into a little bit more detail about the domestic violence bill that we've kind of been alluding to so far? So this was a bill, and I'm sure the chief will jump in here and correct me if I have nuances wrong, that essentially using the mech- there there's a mechanism at work where the state allows guns to be prohibited in an area where they are banned by the federal government and because federal law says that you have been convicted of a domestic violence offense or have an active order of protection you cannot possess a firearm and the word uh can't remember what the exact phrase is but there's a word that's doing a lot of work there where they where the county is basically saying because the state allows you to adopt laws that are as restrictive as the federal government we are going to make it an ordinance violation for a con- individual convicted of a domestic violence crime or with an active order of protection to possess a concealed weapon in St. Louis County basically because uh you are allowed to adopt what is the same thing as the federal law we're going to do to that at the local level and it passed last week on a four to three vote. You described that perfectly. So I think your main objection is not that you feel that domestic abusers should have guns, but you feel like this ordinance is not going to do anything because the maximum punishment would be what, a $500 fine or something like that? No jail time. Whereas, so right now, if a police officer stops someone, and I can relate to this, a police officer stops someone, he's got a concealed firearm, they run him through the computer and they find out that he's got an active order of protection against him. You arrest them, you go to the federal, the U.S. Attorney's Office, you apply for charges at the U.S. Attorney's Office. It's a felony up to 10 years in the penitentiary. What this bill in county government does is it takes that federal felony and makes it an ordinance charge, an ordinance violation, which typically you would give a traffic ticket like, it's called a summons in lieu of arrest, to the individual on the scene or make a warrant application for a summons to be mailed to his house. Uh, That's typically... and. So that's what they're doing. They've watered down the federal charge and saying we're now going to make it an ordinance violation. Now, in real life, once the county executive, I suspect he'll sign this, in real life, this ordinance will never be used. Just like in Kansas City, it's never been used because it does nothing. It's all about symbolism. It's for somebody to say, we did something about guns. That's what this is about. It's about doing something about guns. And in, in effect, it's it's all symbolism and no substance. This is a clip from Lori Punch, who is now a member of the St. Louis County Board of Police Commissioners. This is at a committee hearing for this bill, and it's addressing the symbolism point in particular. So I do not think it is a weak or lofty thing to think a small council ordinance is nothing. In fact, local law really is the only thing 
that differentiates the experience of gun violence in this country. All you have to do is look at the experiences in states like Massachusetts. Will it solve the entire problem? Absolutely not. We're not foolish. We don't have any false pretense about this putting people in absolute safety just because we passed this one ordinance. I think it is a bold statement valuing locally the lives of children who are impacted by bullets in the setting of domestic violence, especially in mass shootings, even more than women. So, Councilman, according to Commissioner Punch, she's not trying to argue that this is going is, as strong as it needs to be. I don't even think that Councilman Clancy or Dunaway or Days or Walton Gray believe that it's strong enough either. But it's sending a message that St. Louis County is serious on this issue. What do you make of that? I think a federal felony charge will send a message to anyone that violates this. The other thing you have to keep in mind with this ordinance, it only applies in the unincorporated areas of the county. If you are a domestic violence suspect, do you know, well, I'll just ask you to, when you drive through St. Louis County, do you know when you're an unincorporated and when you're in a city, in the city limits of Kirkwood or the city limits of Baldwin? I can make a vague guess in some of the areas, but no, I couldn't tell you which side of the street is unincorporated I, versus I which side is. I almost want a geography be in junior high school. So the answer okay. is probably yes, but I, I see your point. I'm probably not, I'm sure other St. Louis County people would not. Do you know where White Castle is at 44 and Bowles? I do not. No. There's one there. Okay. Most would tell you that's in the city of Fenton. It's not. It's unincorporated St. Louis County. My point is, I don't think suspects, when they decide to commit a crime, go, wait a minute, there's a county ordinance that prohibits this. I'm in unincorporated county right now. I better not do this because I might get a $500 fine in a domestic violence situation. That's not how suspects think. I've interviewed thousands of suspects in my life. I was in homicide for a big part of, of my career. That's not how they think. If it doesn't do anything and it is just symbolic, is there a disadvantage to doing it? You say that's not going to do anything, that it, you know, federal felonies are uh, probably going to be the way the police officers go. What then is the disadvantage to it being on the books other than it being, as you put it, you know, an election issue that is going to be signed at a press conference? Right. We don't pass legislation for symbolic reasons. It's supposed to have an impact on people's lives. The other thing is, is Imagine you're the police officer out there. You have this guy roadside. You're in unincorporated St. Louis County, and he's got a gun, and he's under an ex parte order or a full order of protection. He can now write that person a ticket and send him on his way or arrest him and then make a warrant application. They'll mail him a ticket in the mail. Or he can go to the U.S. Attorney's Office and apply for felony charges, which is a lot more labor-intensive, by the way. We've now just given that officer an easy way out of dealing with this because now he has a choice. That bothers me. And in that same hearing, Jason, that you played the clip from, I talked to the Commissioner Punch about what's going to be your policy as a police commissioner. Are you going to tell your cops, now write this person a ticket, or are you going to tell them to go to the U.S. Attorney's Office and get a felony charge? Councilwoman Kelly Dunaway addressed the point about uh, U.S. Attorney versus local at the the council meeting yes, last this week. Yes, the council meeting, the debate on it. I want to play this clip because it also gets to another point that I want to ask the Absolutely. councilman. Yes, this would make an ordinance that doesn't have the same penalties as a federal crime. 
The problem is, is that these particular federal crimes do not get prosecuted. Because of all the cases that run across the U.S. Attorney's desk, this is not one that does or will take priority. They're too busy with much bigger issues. If we can hand this, this law over to the county government, it is more likely to be prosecuted than it's going to be by federal prosecutors. And I agree with all of you, this doesn't go far enough, but we are completely hamstrung by what our legislation by what our legislators in Jeff City are, are, are doing to uphold the Second Amendment. And there, it's completely unfair. We'd like to do a whole lot more to protect people from gun violence that we see breaking out all around us, including in my neighborhood in Maryland Heights last night. And even though this doesn't go far enough, I think it's a first step in the right direction that everyone should be supporting. So I have two questions based on, based on that clip. The first one I want to get at, at the start of her remarks about the feds not prosecuting a lot of these cases. Is that accurate? And if so, wouldn't that strengthen the, the argument for this bill? Well, by the way, I wanted to respond to that, but I'd already been cut off and told that I was not going to be recognized to respond to Here's anything Here's your chance else. to respond. So here's, here's the deal with what Kelly said. She's saying the feds won't prosecute them. It's not that they won't prosecute them. They prosecute, I talked to the U.S. Attorney's Office multiple times during this, and they prosecute every one of these that the cops bring to them that are properly evidenced, period. Now, when you hear Lisa rattle off, well, in between 2013 and 2018, she made a comment about the feds only prosecuted 433 of these cases. Well, those are probably the cases that were brought to them. First of all, you have to catch someone doing it. There's not a lot of times where the police catch someone violating this federal law. So if you only catch in the St. Louis area 20 people a year violating this federal law, and you take it to U.S. attorney, and they issue 18 of the 20, I call that a success rate. But to say that they're not issuing this is just absolutely not wrong, and clearly she did not, she, Kelly Dunaway, did not talk to the U.S. attorney's office, because what they told me is last year they prosecuted uh, 600, they asked for 600 gun cases to be brought to them. This year they want 1,000 brought to them, is what they'd like to see. So they will prosecute every one of these that we detect, that the police detect. The second part of her clip gets to the point that there is no state law about this. Correct. And even though Governor Parson talked about something very similar to this idea at the beginning of session, a lot of Republicans were like, no way this is going to conflict with the Second Amendment and there's no way that we're going to support anything like this. Doesn't Republicans in Jefferson City bear some responsibility for not pushing this on a state level um, that, that could potentially make it unnecessary to have a county council ordinance? Well, first of all, I'd have to know what the legislation said. I don't know that, what they had proposed. I don't. Was there actually a bill prepared? I, I'm not I, sure. I, I would tend to doubt it because obviously Parson can't um, draft legislation on his own. He'd have to find a handler. And I don't know that a Republican GOP or Republican state rep or senator is going to take that chance of introducing that measure, even with the governor's backing. But I don't know that for sure. I have no problem with a state law that's that mirrors the federal law and including the penalty. You know, that's what Sam Page said about the ordinance that's been proposed is that it mirrors the federal law. No, it doesn't. The penalty is much different. If the, if the state says, you know what, you can get up to 10 years and uh, in, like the feds give up to 10 years, mm-hmm. a state law would do the same thing. 
but we can handle it on a state level instead of a federal level, I have no problem with that at all. But that's not what this ordinance does. We'll be right back after this quick break with St. Louis County Councilman Tim Fitch. And we're back with St. Louis County Councilman Tim Fitch. I want to move on to a topic that you're very familiar with, the search for the new chief of the St. Louis County Police Department. You, you were telling us before we press record, you've actually gone through this process three times, once where you tried to become chief and failed, once where you tried to become chief and you succeeded, and another when you were replaced as chief. So right now... And replaced because he retired. Retired. Just to, you know, yeah. this, this yeah. was not a d- demotion, et cetera. This was an I'm moving on. Absolutely. So uh, what I just want to ask generally, like, what should the public expect from this process? And what are you hoping happens over the next few weeks and months? One of the things that I'm glad to see the new police board doing is going out into the community and having hearing sessions. You can never go wrong hearing what the people have to say. So I'm glad that they're doing that. One of the other things I hope they do is if they narrow this down to a certain manageable number of candidates, I hope they will have a town hall type of situation where the public's allowed to submit questions to the potential candidates and let them answer what they would do if they were selected as the chief. Those are two things that have never happened in the past, but I've always supported them. The police board typically did things, I'll call it behind the scenes, in the, in the selection processes I was involved in, but I have no problem around this country, in every big city, this is how they do police chief selection processes. And isn't the St. Louis County Police Department the largest police department in the state? No, the Highway Patrol is larger. Okay. Uh, St. Louis City on paper is larger, but if they'd fill all their positions, uh, and I believe Kansas City is larger. Okay, but it's one of the largest, It's, it's at least in the top three. Top three. Uh, do you think that since the county executive has appointed m- the majority members of the police board, do you have any worry that he's just going to say, appoint this person and they're just going to follow through on it? Or for, is your experience from talking with the members of the, the Board of Police Commissioners that they're going to be reasonably independent of their decision making? The only time I've talked to these members is during the uh, process where we vetted them before they were approved to go on the police board. So I don't know any of them offline. I didn't know any of them before they came onto the police board. I have to take them at their word. I asked them uh, specifically, you know, about, you know, independence and during the hearings. I, I hope they will be. However, what bothered me was the county executive made a statement a few weeks ago to someone in the press where he said he's already made it known to the police board members what he wants to see in the next chief. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. He, he's made it known that he what he wants to see in the next chief. Uh, that remains to be seen. But I hope they do have hard terms, except for one, Mark Gertner is on expired term. And I have heard uh, that the county executive is looking for a replacement for Mr. Gertner, Commissioner Gertner. I would hope that the county executive would hold off on that replacement until the selection process is over, because it'll be very suspicious to many people in the community, me included, if he suddenly replaces this commissioner in the middle of this process. Was this a time to go outside of the department and open up the search to other qualified candidates besides who is just in the department? Or is there kind of enough, in uh, you know, uh, are there enough uh, qualified individuals among those 23 that you think the right person will come on board? Well, first of all, to clarify, during my chief's process, outsiders were, were possibly going to be considered. Okay. What they said was, if we can't find an internal candidate gotcha. that will do what we want it, that 
chief to do and, and respond the way we want that chief to respond, we will open it up to the outside. And ended and up being an internal. Correct. correct and, and you've heard this board say the same thing. Mm-hmm. This isn't closing it to the outside. It's we want to look at the internal candidates first. And to answer the second part of your question is there are many qualified internal candidates. I would say if they cannot find someone internally, it's because they didn't look hard enough or properly. Uh, so it sh- there's really no reason in this particular case to go outside as far as I'm concerned. But again, the county council has no say in it. All I have is an opinion like anybody else in the community, and I hope they stay. There's plenty of internal candidates. I think that this particular surge is being looked at a little bit more closely because Chief Belmar is leaving after the Wildhaver decision caused national news. And also just because I know this happened almost six years ago, but Belmar's legacy will be linked with the Ferguson protests Forever. Forever, and probably not in a positive way. Do you think that the the chief candidate should kind of explain, like, how they would have handled those situations differently? Well, I suspect that'll be a question at some point during this Somebody process. Somebody will ask it. Somebody, if they go to the community and allow the community to ask questions, that's going to come up. Um, I would tell those candidates, whoever's going to be in that process, you better have a response. And there's nothing wrong with saying you would have done things differently. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong at all. I would have done things differently if I was the chief at the time. That's not being critical of the decisions Chief Belmar made at the time. He made the decisions based on what he knew at the time that he thought was the best way to go. All of us do that in going through life. And later, don't we ever look back and go, oh, there's some things I would have done differently. Do you think that the St. Louis County Police Department has a strained relationship with the LGBTQ community and the African-American community right now? I didn't. I would have told you five years ago, no. Uh, because, remember, I was the one that promoted Sergeant Wildhaber to sergeant. I'm mm-hmm. the one that put him in the role as the liaison with the community. I'm the one that asked him to work the recruiting booths and, and be our uh, representative. If there was a victim that was a member of that community, I wanted him to work with that victim like a victim advocate, those type of things. And obviously, after I left, things changed. And I, I really didn't see that coming, to be completely honest with you, uh, because one thing a new chief doesn't want is the old chief hanging around like presidents, you know, you don't want that person hanging around, expressing their opinion, um, saying what they're doing wrong. So I stayed away from the department since I've been retired. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to the second part of my question. It was very noticeable to me in 2015 when all these people were running for Ferguson City Council. And me and Joe Manis asked every single one of them, would you want St. Louis County to police Ferguson? And every single person said no. And that really signaled to me that there is a lot of distrust in predominantly African-American places like Ferguson and the county police department. Why do you think that is? And how does that change? And I don't think it is. I think it was for Ferguson. Yeah. Because, you know, they remember the the explosions and the tear gassing. And that's what they remember. They remember St. Louis County with the dogs. They remember St. Louis County with the rifle on top of the uh, the bear armored vehicle. That's where that came from. But if you would go right down the road next to Ferguson to Jennings, where the county police are the police for Jennings, when I was the police chief in the county, we began that contract. They used to have their own police force. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, that is as strong as a relationship today as it's been since we've had it. And Jennings is is a predominantly African-American community. So I don't think it's that way everywhere in the African-American community. Clearly in Ferguson, that was the case then. I don't know if it's still the case today. 
I want to move on a little bit to, to politics. In a few months, there's going to be a pretty competitive Democratic primary for St. Louis County Executive, which is an early election because St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger resigned and went to jail. There are three major candidates right now, St. Louis County Executive Sam Page, St. Louis uh, County Assessor Jake Zimmerman, and Mark Montavani, who almost beat Stanger in 2018. It's not out of the question. There may be more Democratic candidates. Maybe a Republican gets in. Well, there is a Republican, okay. Paul Barry. Oh, is Paul Barry running again? Yes. Okay. How, do, how do you think that this race is going to affect county council business, in, in your opinion? I think we're already seeing it. Um, one of my colleagues on the council said it so well last week. He said, uh, there's been a Christmas tree put out up, and now they're hanging ornaments on it. It's about what can we do... Um, it, it, as far as County Executive Page goes, it seems like he's going as far left as he can go to pull out as many of those voters to the far left as he can uh, with all the different uh, ideas that he has as far as we're going to give away diapers at the library, for example, and those type of things that we're seeing from the County Executive. I think you're going to see more and more of that. Uh, we saw it with this domestic violence bill. I don't think if this, if this wasn't an election season, he would have never asked for that bill to come down. That's the kind of things that I think you're going to continue to see. And I mean this respectfully to Paul Barry because he's been on this show and I have a good relationship with him. But he was grossly underfunded in 2018. And unless somebody else gets in, I kind of see a similar result. Whoever wins the Democratic primary is going to become the county executive from 2021 to 2022. So isn't it the responsibility of Republicans to put forth a well-funded, well-organized campaign to kind of blunt that leftward motion? It is. And I will tell you that uh, the Republican Central Committee, which I'm a member, I'm the uh, committee man for Merrimack Township. We've tried very hard to recruit a Republican candidate and they tried their best to recruit me. And I'm not interested in being the county executive. Uh, and this is a consistent position that you have taken on this show. <laughs> absolutely. And you, as you noticed at filing the other day, I wasn't there to file to be the county executive, and I won't be before March 30th or 31st. Yeah, I mean, we've asked Councilman Mark Harder about whether he's going to do it because he could, he could, like you, he could run for county executive and not give up his seat. He's been kind of noncommittal on it. Your your predecessor, Councilwoman Colleen Wassinger, has also been seen as a county executive candidate. Mm -hmm. At this point, she hasn't walked through the board of election doors either. Yeah. So where's the where's the barrier there? You have these qualified candidates. Is it the nature of the job that they have as you do other positions you would have to give up? Is it as Jason's noticed there is a trend and it's becoming harder? What what is your sort of take on why these objectively qualified individuals don't want to take that next step? I think you could find a Republican candidate that will be a viable candidate if they're a moderate candidate. I think a moderate Republican can still win in St. Louis County. And I think some of the Republicans that have thought about running are probably too conservative to fit into that category. I personally think Colleen Wassinger would fit well into that category. It's just a matter of talking her into doing it. And, and the other thing that I think she and I both feel strongly about is the county executive's position, in my opinion, is too strong. I've got a bill, as you probably noticed on the agenda, that talks about a professional county manager that would take away some of that, a lot of that authority from the county executive, which, by the way, Sam Page was in favor of until he got elected as county executive or appointed. Uh, and now it's suddenly he's against it. So and no surprise there. It, it, so I think that's one of the other things is why would you want to be the county executive if one of your platforms is you think that power of that person should be reduced? 
So for me, again, I wouldn't want to be the county executive under either circumstance because the work of that job doesn't interest me. He got, wait, I just want to make sure I, I got you correctly. Sam Page was in favor of having a county manager. Yep. When, when when did he say that? Uh, that's Colleen Wassinger when she was on the council, said that he was in, absolutely in favor of a count, professional county manager when Stanger was in office. Um, I guess the other thing, too, is do, do you think that there may be another crack at reconfigurating Proposition P over the August or November elections? I know that's been something that you've been wanting to do for a while, and it perhaps would have to go back to voters if they want to change where the money goes. I don't believe the Democrats on the council would even consider changing how Prop P is distributed. I personally have always felt that that money, the people voted for that money for police. And some of the members of the council believe that, yeah, maybe they were told that in the advertisements, but that's not what it said on the ballot. That's not what they were voting for, and they should have read, it, read the ballot closer. Uh, I disagree with that. I think people feel strongly why they voted for that, and that's what it should be. So we'd have to go back to the voters and ask them to uh, repeal and replace Prop P. Now, what would that do? Think of the issues that would cause in county government where you have a significant number of people outside the police department getting Prop P as part of their pay. Well, guess what? If that went away, how are you going to fund that? Yeah, and in fairness to those employees, if they're seeing that the county police are getting huge bumps in pay and they haven't gotten pay increases in years and they consider themselves to fit into the public safety box, so to speak. I'm sorry, but everybody should have seen that coming. And that should have been some of the thought processes before this got put forward. I agree 100 percent. As a matter of fact, I was asked to support the Prop P uh, bill. And I wouldn't do it for that very reason. I told County Executive Stanger at the time the only way I would help support that is if there were two provisions added to it. You couldn't back out funds. When the new money came in, you couldn't back out funds. It's called supplanting. And the, and the other was that it only went to the police. And that was the last time him and I, to this day, have spoken. Do you think that Prop P was a failure? No. I think it did part of what we wanted to accomplish. You have to remember, even with the, as you used the word, huge pay raises that the police got, mm -hmm. it still only moved them up to the median salary level mm -hmm. in law enforcement in this region. It didn't, like, make them number one, two, or three. They're still in the lower top ten of police departments in the, in the county as far as pay goes. So it did not give them a huge uh, increase over what others, you know, we were losing people, 30, 40, 50 officers a year to higher paying departments. That's not happening anymore. So, yes, in that respect, it was successful. Well, Councilman, thank you so much for coming on the show during this very interesting time in St. Louis County government. Seems like we've said that a lot lately. Yeah, it's always interesting. Who are we, who are we kidding? For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter, Rachel? At R. Lipman, two P's and two N's. And how can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? At Chief Tim Fitch. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.